morning, everybody. We're going um, to go into time of teaching now and look at that passage that Laura read out before. Um, and if you were here last week, we looked at that passage kind of. I was pretty confused about it. I was kind of doing a bit of a kid's version of the parable of the soul last week and kind of telling the story. Um, but this week, we won't go through the whole thing again, but we're going to kind of look at the little bit in between when Jesus tells this story and then when he explains it, because it's really, it's really interesting. Um, but this is still a part of a series that we've been doing uh, called The Man, and we've been tracking through Matthew's Gospel, and basically we're up to chapter 13, uh, which is really interesting, because the way that these kind of segments in Matthew's Gospel works is there's like a couple of chapters of stories, it tends to be, and then there's a chapter of teaching. Um, this happened with Jesus, like the, the start of the Gospel sort of starts, and then there's a big block of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and then... Jesus is doing miracles and healing people for a couple of chapters, and then he teaches the disciples about persecution and, and their mission and, and what's, and what's going to happen in the future. And, and then now we've seen Jesus um, seeing lots of different responses to him, uh, to the man, Jesus. Even John the Baptist kind of confused about him. Other people not sure why Jesus is doing this and not doing that. And some people even opposed to him and calling him names and thinking he's even evil. So there's all these different responses and all this, even controversy, we looked at controversy and Sam talked a couple of weeks about the controversy even around Jesus' family and we looked at the Sabbath and the sign and so there's just all this stuff going on and then chapter 13 then is Jesus teaching but it's totally different because he just starts telling stories um, and we call them parables and it's so interesting because we're kind of probably familiar with this, um, if you grew up in church you probably know all the parables, we've heard them taught and even maybe taught as kids' stories, but they're actually quite profound. And when you think about the sort of context, it's quite profound because basically what happens just before this, right, there's all this controversy going on. At the start of chapter 13, Jesus leaves the house that he's in, all these people follow him, all these crowds are there, he goes down to a lake and there's so many people at this lake that he hops into a boat. And it's interesting, right? He's talking to probably more people that are, that are, than are here today. Like, I imagine thousands of people, crowds on the shore of a beach. He doesn't have a microphone or anything. He, he goes out onto the water. The, the water carries his voice. Some commentators even say it's like there maybe were some cliffs around there. So Jesus kind of picked a spot that's like a natural amphitheater to, like, speak to the crowd. So this is like his shot, right? There's all these questions about him. There's all this confusion about him. And I imagine the disciples are thinking, okay, Jesus, this is your chance, right, to clear it all up, to, to clear up the confusion about who you are. He's got the attention of all these people. He's out on a boat. And what does he do? He starts talking about seeds and soil. And we looked at that last week, right? He just starts saying, there was a sower, a farmer. He sowed some seeds. Some fell on the path and the birds took it. Some fell on the shallow ground. It came up and then it died. Some fell on the thorny ground, and then it got choked, and some fell on the good soil. Are you listening? That's it. Like that's, that's Jesus' message. And then he will go on in chapter 13 and tell other stories like this. And you think if this is his like shot to bring clarity, to, to sort of say who he is, he's got everyone's attention, it's a really strange thing to do. And remember, Jesus doesn't give the explanation later on to the crowds. All the crowds hear is the parable, is the story. But this confuses his disciples. So we see in verse 10, the disciples come to him and they ask, and I don't know how this would have been, but perhaps they're even on the boat, right? Like they're maybe on the boat with Jesus as well. And they're like, 
Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, why are you speaking to people in parables? Like, like, this is your chance to be clear, to explain your message to everybody. Well, why are you telling these stories? And we might think the same, right? Like, often it's easier, some people say, and probably is common to read Paul in the New Testament because he's a lot more clear than Jesus. We kind of try and read Jesus, and people get confused. I'm like, no, I'll just stick with Paul. <laughs> like, like, because even when we come to Jesus' teaching, we might even think, Jesus, why aren't you clearer? And, and some people might even think Jesus is not a great teacher. Jesus is the best teacher ever. He's the smartest person alive. But maybe his definition of good teaching is different to ours. Uh, so I guess um, we look at this. this. We might have this question as well for Jesus. Why do you speak in parables? This is his answer. I don't know if it helps very much, but he says to the disciples, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That's still pretty confusing, right? Like, like what does that actually mean? And it's interesting, because um, it, what's clear is Jesus' contrast between the crowds and the disciples. There's a significant contrast, right? The, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, to disciples who are following Jesus, who are listening to Jesus, who are interested in Jesus, but it's not being given to them. And then Jesus says, those who have, in the sense of those who are seeking him and following him and learning, they will have more. And those who don't have, the parables, it seems, will actually take away from them. So this is an interesting motivation for teaching. Those who have will have more. Those who don't have will even lose what they have. So Jesus' parables are actually puzzling stories. Um, and because we so often think that the thing you do when you teach is you need to be clear, we might even start to think that Jesus' parables are illustrations and ways to make his teaching clearer. Like, like if you can't understand something, a good thing to do is to give an illustration of it, and then it makes more sense to people. And we might start to think that's what Jesus is doing here. People aren't really understanding, so he's using stories to make it more accessible and more easy. But in actual fact, it's almost the opposite. Jesus is not trying to make things more clear. In some ways, he's making things more confusing. They're, they're not so much illustrations as things that will puzzle people. And what we'll see is that perhaps Jesus' purpose in teaching is different to ours. Um, on this, Tim Mackey says, For Jesus, these, the parables, were not little helpful illustrations to make everything clear. They actually seemed to function in the opposite way. They were puzzling, inviting stories that forced you to do the work of thinking and listening as you consider Jesus. Well, we tend to think that the purpose of communication and teaching is to convey information. And if that is true, then clarity is really important. Like, even today, like, I'm trying to communicate information, so I'm trying to be clear. But what if Jesus' purpose is not just to communicate information, but it's actually an invitation? And it's an invitation that forces a decision. So Jesus isn't so much trying to be clear. He's trying, in some ways, to puzzle people, which forces them to make a decision. Are they going to think carefully about what he's saying? 
Are they going to ask questions? Are they going to lean in? Or are they going to think this guy's crazy and just walk away? So there's an invitation to make a decision and to seek more or actually to give up. And kind of puzzles kind of do this. Um, I, I remember actually when I was a kid and we would go to my parents' home group and all the kids would just play downstairs and the house we were at had a big pool table, which was really fun. And it's a nice house in Redcliffe. And they had all of those seeing eye puzzles on the wall where it's like just a pattern on the wall. But if you look at it a certain way, it has like a 3D picture. And I could just never do it. I would just look at this picture and I'd be like going cross-eyed, <laughs> staring at it. And I just couldn't see it. And it would make me frustrated. And I would just think, these things are stupid. Like, like, and then just reject them. And then other people could look at it and they could see it and they loved it. And it's interesting. That's kind of how we often respond to puzzles or riddles. Like you, you get a puzzle and then you're interested in it and you have to work at it and you have to listen and then you solve it and, it's, and you think it's great. Or you get a puzzle and you think this thing's a load of junk. It's ridiculous and you throw it away. Like it kind of almost forces you to decide, are you going to lean in? Or are you going to reject it? And often it says more about you and your patience and your willingness to be open and to be challenged and to be listening than actually the thing itself. So in some ways, Jesus' decision to teach in parables is actually purposeful. And it's to, it's a, his purpose is to sift people. The, the parables actually say more about the listener. And they, they actually force a decision and force a response. And it's a sifting response. Some will listen and lean in and will have more. Some will lose what they already have because it will turn them off and they will, in a sense, reject Jesus. Jesus puts the ball in our court by speaking in parables and forces a response from the heart. And as we've been looking at, all the different responses to Jesus, even in the parable of the soul, the different responses to Jesus are an issue of our hearts, not him. And in some ways, the, his decision to talk in parables reveals our heart towards him. So one thing, I guess, just for us to consider as we look at these, um, and even to consider in our lives, what, how do we respond when we find Jesus confusing? Um, do we get frustrated when he's not clear? Or maybe even just decide not to listen, or not to read what he has to say, or not to listen to what God's saying, if it's confusing? Um, because maybe, actually, his purpose is not so much to be clear. Maybe his purpose is to invite us into something or even test us in a way. Perhaps clarity is not always the main thing. And what we've seen going through Matthew, um, the last couple of chapters this year, is that there have been lots of different responses, and Jesus knows that people are actually not listening to him. And it's not just that they're not listening, it's that they don't want to hear him. They don't like that he's not fitting their expectations and they're unwilling to be open. They're actually closed. So when he's speaking, they're actually not genuinely listening, which is what he says next. This is verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So Jesus knows that people are listening to him. He has the attention of the crowds, but they're actually not open, many of them. They're actually not listening. They're not hearing. And he actually says this fulfills scripture. He says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. This is Isaiah 6. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become 
callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This is what happened to Isaiah, right? Isaiah has this vision of God in the temple, this experience of forgiveness, and then God says to Isaiah, I want you to go preach to people who are not going to listen to you. And you've got to keep preaching to them, even though they're not going to listen to you. And this is a form of judgment on Israel. And they're already not listening. And you know, kind of when you're talking to someone who's not listening, if you keep on talking, keep saying the same thing to someone who's not listening, often they just listen even less, right? And in a sense, this is a judgment on Israel. Isaiah's going to go and speak to them, and his speaking to them is going to make them listen even less, which is going to force them to go into exile. And that's actually God's plan. But it's God's judgment. But the reason is because going into exile will actually lead to a cleansing and a healing and a renewing. So there's judgment, but there's hope. God's There's a purpose in that exile that happens with Isaiah. And it's interesting because Jesus' kingdom message is also bringing judgment in a sense. Because he is the Messiah. He's here, God in the flesh. And people are not listening to him. They're unwilling to hear it and accept it. And as Jesus speaks, and as he speaks in parables, people are now even more likely to receive the evidence they're not willing to listen to him because they start to just think that he's crazy or he's irrelevant or, or he's just confusing. They're looking, but they can't see, even though what they've been waiting for is right in front of them. The, the Lord and his Messiah who's been prophesied, they've been waiting the whole history of Israel for this moment, he's right there, and they can't see it. And it's a form of judgment at their heart, and the fact that Jesus then continues to talk to them and speaks to them in parables, in a sense, even hardens people to him more. Which is interesting, because, again, we might think that Jesus' goal in coming to earth is to get everyone just to accept him. And that's what the disciples wanted. Like, everyone just rally around Jesus, because... The Messiah's here, and like, let's see the kingdom come. But Jesus knows his kingdom's going to come through judgment, not falling on Israel, but falling on him. The parable's actually pointing to this, that people are going to start to reject Jesus, and even his teaching forces them to reject him more and more, but that's actually the direction of his ministry, to be rejected. That, that's his cross. It's actually leading to the cross. So the parables, Jesus' parables actually turn off those who are closed. But interesting, they also, it, they also buy more time for those who are opposed to him. Because Jesus has already said things that are very controversial, controversial and have almost gotten killed. Right? So he's got to be careful in a sense because his plan is to be killed, but it needs to be at the right time and it needs to be in the right place. So in a sense, Jesus knows people are against him. And if he's just open about who he is and what he's doing, they'll probably kill him there and then, right? Or they'll think he's the Messiah, we need to make him king, which is he will be king, but he'll be king through a cross. So people won't hear him and adjust. So in a sense, Jesus can speak about the kingdom in a way that is concealed from those who actually can't listen. He... In the parable of the soul, he's making a huge claim about the kingdom, about what he's doing. But if people aren't willing to listen to him, they just think he's just telling a silly story about seeds. Why am I wasting my morning here? Like, I need to get back to work, right? <laughs> like, like, that's how people will respond to him. Um, Tom Wright puts it this way. He said, if someone had asked Jesus why he spoke so cryptically, 
he might well have replied with the famous and otherwise puzzling words from Isaiah 6. So they may look and look but never see, hear and hear but never understand. If they really were to see and understand, there might be a riot. Which was true, right? Like, if Jesus was just open with the crowd. Because interestingly, when Jesus is even open with his disciples, they sometimes oppose him. Like, when he says he's going to the cross to Peter, Peter tries to talk him out of it. So so even some of the disciples who have can't receive what he's saying. And he knows that the crowds definitely can't. So he speaks in parables and actually turns off and conceals from those who are not willing to listen, but also buys him time. Because his kingdom was coming, and the kingdom, yeah, he was coming and bringing the kingdom right there and then. But it wasn't coming with popularity and fame and with crowds and revolution. It was going to come through a cross by being rejected. So I suppose the question for us is, um, and a challenge for us is, that actually listening is really difficult. We kind of talked about that a little bit last week. To really listen to someone and to really be open is quite hard. And this is a, a scary verse in a sense because Jesus is saying people can hear him, they, they receive his words, like they're, they're there in the flesh with Jesus, but actually they're not listening to him. And there's a question for us is when we hear Jesus' words, when we hear his teaching, are we actually listening to it? Or are we closed? Or do we just think we know it already? But the truth is Jesus is probably already always surprising, and we probably don't really know, and we have to continue to keep listening. So are we open or are we closed to him? So many are closed to him, and he knows that, and many won't get it. And the parable of the sower, right, three out of the four soils don't really listen to him, maybe appear to for a time, but they haven't really taken his word in. And if you were there, maybe, we might think, well, this doesn't seem right. Right? Is this really the Messiah? Right? Is this really God working his purpose in the earth? Is this Jesus really true if people are rejecting him and aren't sure about him and lots of people aren't even listening to him and people think he's crazy? Like, like what's even really going on? But the truth is, he is. And he says this to his disciples. In the next verse in 16 to 17, he says, But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus didn't look like what they were expecting, but he was the promised one. And he was in the flesh, and they were seeing him, and they were hearing him. And he says, so many people in all the history of Israel are so jealous of you right now, because you're here, and it's happening doesn't look like what you're thinking, but it is happening. It's the secret of the kingdom actually being revealed. Jesus is revealing himself to people who have ears to hear. And actually, the parables do that. They actually teach about the kingdom and reveal secrets of the kingdom, but only to those who are willing to listen to the puzzling stories. Um, So Jesus' parables reveal the nature of the kingdom, but only to those who are listening and seeking. Those who have, those who are seeking, those who are open, will have more. And Jesus said we'll have an abundance even. Um, Michael Wilkins says it this way. Oh, go back one. The parables give instruction to those who are responsive. So they do teach information, but only to those who are responsive. They teach Jesus' disciples about the nature of the kingdom of heaven, 
clarifying its mystery, which thus shows how the kingdom operates in this world in a very different way from what was expected by the religious leaders and the crowd. So Jesus' kingdom parables do teach about the kingdom, reveal secrets of the kingdom, but in a way that's hidden unless you can really listen and seek. And even the parable of the, the, the soil, the sower, the disciples ask Jesus, what's it about? Like they seek more information and he tells them, like he explains it. And crowds can come to Jesus and they could come and ask him more questions and, and seek more information and he will give it. It's that he's sifting those who are willing to do that versus those who are just going to say, and they've already written him off in their heart anyway and now they've got a good reason to just sort of reject him and push him to the side. And often what the parables are showing is that though the kingdom looks weak, it doesn't look like what you would think with God breaking into the world. It looks different, and it looks strange that Jesus is rejected, but it is God's kingdom breaking into the world. Jesus is the Messiah. He is working. He explains what's going on. People are rejecting him in the parable of the sower. He, he, he says this is what the kingdom's like and how it will spread. And as we'll look at later on, he talks about the kingdom being like a seed that grows is very small but will expand. So he, he knows what the kingdom's like, and he's revealing the unexpected kingdom to his followers. And what I find really interesting is that Jesus did not fit their expectations, but in many ways, it's because what he was doing was so much greater and so much bigger and beyond what anybody expected. It looked weaker. It looked insignificant. It looked like Jesus is being rejected when he should be a strong Messiah. But the reason is because Jesus' purpose was so much bigger in that he wasn't just trying to defeat Rome, but he was trying to defeat evil and sin and death. <laughs> like, like Je what Jesus was doing was so much bigger and on another level that no one could really understand. And in a sense, his parables invite people to consider that. So actually, maybe what Jesus is doing is so much bigger that I have to shift my whole approach to what the kingdom even means and looks like. And I think that's so cool, because perhaps in our lives, when Jesus is not meeting our expectations, or when what he's doing is puzzling, or perhaps we feel confused, or what he's doing in us seems weak, perhaps it's not because what he's doing doesn't meet our expectations, but perhaps it's because what he's doing is so much beyond our expectations that we actually can't see it. He's working at a level that we can't comprehend, that we have to trust, and have to be open and have to be listening, even though we don't quite know what he's doing. It's not that Jesus' kingdom is worse than people expected. It's that it's so much better, but they're not open, so they miss it. Perhaps in our lives, our expectations are actually too low, that we miss that God's doing such a deep work and such a big work, but maybe it's on his time frame and in his understanding, and it looks different. So the parables are puzzling stories, um, which I think is really exciting because they cause us to ponder and to think and to, to dwell on and to ask questions of. They're, puzzles, they're pu puzzling stories, and they turn off those who are closed and buy more time from those who are opposed. And that was really purposeful for that day and time in Jesus' ministry. Um, but they also reveal the nature of the kingdom to those who are listening and seeking. So when we're reading the parables, we have to read them, that they're about what Jesus is doing and saying in his context, in history, 
but then we can also learn secrets about the kingdom and how God operates as we study them. So I suppose the message and the message of the parable of soul as we looked at last week is simply, do we have ears? Are we listening? Are we open? Jesus' message is surprising and it means if we're not open, we may miss it. And not so much that I'm saying like we're missing it all together. Like we, we know Jesus, right? Like we have his gospel and Paul articulates his gospel clearly, which is great. But we also need to be open that maybe there's other things that he's teaching us and speaking to us that are surprising. Or maybe the full implications of his kingdom in our heart, we haven't quite grasped and we need to be open more. And perhaps if he's not working in ways that we expect or ways that are surprising, perhaps it's because he's working at a higher level and doing greater things and the invitation is to trust him. So I'm excited. We're going to start another series next week, but then we're going to come back in a few weeks and just work through this chapter of Jesus' parables. Um, So you might like to read through chapter 13 over the next few weeks and just start to, to ponder them afresh. And you've probably read them before, but maybe start to read them afresh with fresh eyes and open to what God might be revealing and saying as well. So I'm going to pray and then then we'll sing to to respond. We just thank you, Jesus, for your kingdom that you announced and that you, um, yeah, set up on earth as you're enthroned on your cross and risen from the dead and you're Lord and King and you have all authority in heaven and earth and just thank you for your invitation into your kingdom and how you're working in our lives and you're working in history and how you're present. Just thank you for your wisdom, um, your purposes that are beyond ours often and just the, the way you operate on a, a totally different level to how we think often. And We just ask for your grace to be able to hear you and listen to you and be open to you, um, even when you're confusing and even when things don't make sense, God. Give us grace to hear. Give us grace to respond. Give us grace to continue to receive your word in our hearts and bear fruit. Um, We just thank you, Jesus, for revealing secrets to us, revealing your kingdom, your goodness, and your life. And yeah, we just honor you for your wisdom um, and the ways that you work. And just bless your name, Lord. Amen.